morning. We're going to be talking in just a moment about that series called Comfort. We've been on now for several weeks. This morning, I'm going to talk probably to everybody, including myself, and that is we all need comfort at different times in our families, sometimes because of death and disease, sometimes because of disruption and rebellion. But one area that's certainly troubled in America today is home life. So let's pray and ask God this morning to meet us. I'm going to conclude the message in an unusual way in Luke 15 by looking at that other brother, that other son. We often talk about the story of the prodigal. Today we're going to talk about the one that left only in his heart. Luke 15 we'll look at in just a minute. Father, we're grateful today that we belong to a family, and that's the family of God. On earth, you give us the privilege of loving a person with the love of a lifetime, and we enter into that bond through marriage, and then as a result of marriage, we are able to procreate with the blessing of God and have children that are part of each parent. And along the way, there's many homes that have absolute harmony, but there are many that don't. Sometimes the marriages fail. Sometimes there's death that robs a marriage of one of the mates. Sometimes there are children that have special needs or are just plain rebellious. And when that comes, that place that was to be a place of sanctity and re re reprieve and retreat becomes a place of war. And so I pray this morning you'll grant us eyes to see the truth regarding the comfort, the strengthening together with God that can build hope again in a household. I would not be so foolish as to think in the next few minutes I'll be able to cure every ill and address every hurt. I'm not confident I'll address every issue that can possibly be covered but I pray as we look at these principles, they'll be applicable enough that we can put them to work in our lives immediately and see the grace of God at work first in us and then in those in our household. Help us, I pray. Fill our hearts with your power, our minds with your thoughts, and right now fill my mouth with your words and your truth so the folks present today via live stream or live in this room don't hear the opinions of a preacher but can hear the principles of Almighty God from your word. Let it be so, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In preparing for this message, I ran across a sermon by a man named Rodney Buchanan, and here's what Rodney has to say. The hurts present in families today are just real and complex. Hurts happen. They happen in every home. They're issues of power and control personality differences, financial problems, different ways of handling children, insecurity, competition, misunderstood feelings, unmet needs, abuse, and even unfaithfulness. But in spite of some of these very serious hurts, healing can also happen in our homes. However, healing will not happen by ignoring the problems or pretending they don't exist. Healing will not happen if you're unwilling to face the problems and avoid doing the hard work of being honest with yourself about the issues, and then confronting them. One place that's in great turbulence today and upheaval in the 21st century is the home. Those things that we were taught, if you're a baby boomer like I am, those things that our parents taught us now make us radical and even hateful. If you don't believe in mar marriage being open to any two, any things that want to get together or more than two, then you're just downright hateful, you bunch of bigots. You know, I never dreamed that doing what my daddy taught me to do and my Sunday school taught me to do and my teachers in the 20th century way back there taught me to do would someday make me an enemy of the state. I never dreamed that I would have a problem. I live in a world that had a problem with understanding something as simple as gender. <laughs> I'm old. I, I, you know, I remember when there were just two, male and female. In fact, that dates way back to Genesis. That's how old I am. I, I just believe when it says God made them male and female, that pretty well determined it. But did you know today there are 58 different descriptions of gender identity? No wonder ch children are confused. If you can't figure out what sex you are, you're not going to have a good luck solving the world's problems. That didn't take me long to realize I'm a boy and I like it. And I was in elementary school when I had my first sweetheart, and I'd chase her around the playground and pull her pigtails, and I liked doing that. <laughs> she didn't, but I loved it. I've never, I, there have been things I've been confused about. My gender wasn't one of them. I know, I know who I am and what I am and who made me that way, and I like it. But we live in a world that's confused. We live in a world where many things create strife in the family, time or lack thereof. Never has a generation been busier 
and more miserable. Because we got to do it all. You know, you can't just do something because you're going to, this peer will say, you mean you don't do that? You, you got to get this involved in your schedule and we feel obligated and before long, it's not our schedule. It's the schedule demands put upon us by our peer group and others that we seek to honor. We're emotionally spent and mentally spent when we get home in the evening. So when those children want to talk or our spouse wants to talk, we're, we're too weary to really even listen and certainly too weary to offer input. The individuality of homes today is creating great division. Every room has a television and every room has a door that closes and every room has its own iPad or, computer, or cell phone or computer and people don't get together. They just go home under the same roof and live a separate life. Economics can create tremendous tensions because parents are more and more pressed to allow their children to do all those things that are offered in a wonderful community like Broken Era and a church like First Baptist. And all these things are good. And parents before long try to figure out, am I, am I working for our good or paying the fees for all these different things that are happening that I'm expected for my child to do? And there's brokenness. Some homes have known what it is to go through a divorce and mates are wounded. You say, well, pastor, I, I, I've been divorced a long time ago and I've, that's good. And if you've healed, that's even better. But there are people that still say that wound is fresh and though it's been years, I, I still grieve. Brokenness can affect a household. Blended families can affect a household. Special needs or chronic needs, both of children and or a mate. If a mate has a long-term illness and he or she cannot fully act, uh, serve as they once did, there's tension, there's pressure. If a child has special needs or goes through something that's a disease that's long-term, it's very hard for a parent to function because here's all the other children, all the other demands, but this one is requiring so much time and attention, it cre can create problems. Rebellious children certainly can disrupt a household addictions and today there have never been more. People used to say, well, he's an alcoholic or, you know, some addicted to tobacco, but that, those are minor somewhat compared. I'm not saying that's minor being an alcoholic, but they're minor compared to meth methamphetamine addiction. They're minor compared to a man who lives on a computer with pornography sites because he doesn't want to talk to his wife. They're minor compared to a teen that's caught sexting and they're doing it vividly, not realizing that when they pass along that nude picture of a teenage friend, They've just committed a crime. It's a different world. The links of consistent training between family, church, and, and schools are broken. There was a day, and some of you white-haired like me, when your church and your school and the parents were all in agreement, this is a way of righteousness, this is a way to build character, and the school's going to reinforce what the church taught, and the church's going to reinforce what the family taught, and the family's going to reinforce what the school and church teach. Now the schools are saying, we don't want any of that Christianity in our schools. And when something goes wrong at school, the parents say, I'm getting me a lawyer. <laughs> my daddy said, I'm getting my belt. Today they get a lawyer. It's a different day. And so all of that puts stress on the family. And then there's absolute spiritual shallowness. I'm amazed at how many people, and I'm going to say this, and somebody's going to pooch your lips, so let's do it early in the service. Maybe you'll be good by Sunday school. I can't believe how many people are praising the shack. I... I can't. I read the book only because a church member gave it to me and said, it's wonderful, it's blasphemy, it's heresy. At best, at best, it, it's wicked. When you take the very name of God and the person of God and malign it, <laughs> we don't have to ask, are we revering our God? Do you think Muslims would do that to Allah? Only Christians, quote, excuse me, uh, only those in the church. We're shallow. And so when family hurts come, we have a superficial rootedness that wants to say, we're okay. But when the storms come, we're not always capable of facing the storms with the might of God. Things create many manifestations that are harmful. When you live in that kind of environment, there are constant t tensions, there are angry outbursts at home, there's open conflict with children. Sometimes if it's the parents that are that way or one child is that way, then it intensifies in the rebellion and the rejection of authority and belligerence. Families are struggling. 
So what are you going to do? Well, I started to do this thing of, you know, let's list all these things that get you help. I'm going to list those and we're going to look at Scripture. Here they are. If you want this, you can either watch it live on live stream or call me and I'll get you the list. But these are not profound. What, do, what, are you doing if you're, what, what do you do if you're really struggling at home with a child, a, a sibling, uh, a mate, a parent, whatever's creating that deep irritation? What are you going to do? Well, first of all, admit you need help. I'm amazed how many people today still feel there's a stigma in asking somebody that's a professional, guide me through this. I'm struggling with something. I guarantee you today, if any one of us in this room had a malignant tumor, you'd say, well, I, I, I feel so ashamed to have to go to a doctor admit there's something wrong and I don't know what it is and I can't fix it. You're, every person in this room say, are you crazy? We got every kind of cancer treatment center. Why wouldn't you go get? Well, it, to me, it's just a, it's a sign of weakness that I can't fix it. Listen, if you've got a family tumor that's creating a great upheaval in your household, why in the world wouldn't you go seek somebody that's trained in Christian family treatment to say, you may not can help me, but I want to talk to somebody that has studied and researched and, and knows Christ. Be sure they're Christian. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly and say, help me, here's the situation. We don't seem to be making progress. Give me some insights. Now hear me, a counselor is not a miracle healer. A counselor's not gonna tell you, if you do this, you're gonna have live happily ever after. He, he or she can say, here's some principles. And then it's up to you to apply those as you feel led and see fit. And then secondly, I think you need to set your family as a treasure to be guarded See, sometimes when we've hurt so long, we decide it's just not worth it. I'm not going to try anymore. That can happen in a marriage. It can happen with a child. If that child just continually grinds on your heart and grates on your spirit and continually treats you with disrespect, you finally say, I've had it with you. I'm not trying anymore. I I've been there. Don't do that. Because ultimately, time causes many things to change, but it also can affect your heart, if you just leave the door open, eventually, it's amazing as you continue to represent Christ and promote Christ and pray and seek and walk with Him, it's amazing how years later, a relationship can be restored and be better than it ever was before. So, so set your families a treasure and do whatever it takes to preserve those relationships. To the best of you, and this one, I'm saying, let me say the last part first. To the best of your ability, to the best of your ability, keep the communication line open. If you've ever had a wayward child or gone through a deep tension with a mate, there are times that they just hold up or they shout at you or they just so belligerent you say, I can't talk to you. Listen, you can't make them communicate, but you can keep the line open if they're ever open. And sometimes, remember, communication can be a sentence or two not spoken in anger to keep that line open. It could be a word of affirmation not spoken in anger when it doesn't come across as, okay, you love me. But rather, listen, I know you're hurting. I'm hurting too. I love you. How hard was that? pretty hard when somebody's hurt you real deeply. But you say that in a way that's earnest. And then while seeking to fix your family, always realize that maybe God's trying to fix you. I learned an awful lot about the love of God through times of struggling with a child. I learned that He forgives genuinely. I learned to see myself in the light of how he sees me when I was so pompous and so clear on all things relating to the kingdom. See, sometimes what we hate in others is what we see in ourselves manifested in somebody else. Were you ever rebellious? <laughs> I'm fortunate to be alive that I get to preach to you every Sunday because my daddy didn't kill me. When I went back for an anniversary at Humboldt, Tennessee years ago, a man came through and shook my hand. He said, do you remember me? I said, no, sir, I don't. He said, well, I guess that's good. He said, I'm glad you're a preacher today. It's a miracle you're not dead. I said, why is that? We had a three-story educational building in our church, brick building, asphalt down below it. 
He said, Nick, you were the most rambunctious, talkative, uncontrolled, unlistening, uncooperative with all the uns I ever taught. He said, more than once, I started to open that third story window and make you a sacrifice. <laughs> You're looking at a mercy gift. Were you ever rebellious? Altar's open. So maybe instead of always saying, boy, you got a problem, maybe it's time to say, God, what are you trying to teach me? Help me to learn it fast. Confess when you're wrong. See, the truth is when you're wrong, everybody in your family knows it. They just wonder why you don't say something about it. And then if at all possible, and again, this is if at all possible, put an end to the strife that's created. If it's something that you can remove, some behavior or some attitude, find, and that's where a counselor can help, find choices that you can give and say, look, every time we come to this, we, 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 we <laughs> move to, resort to this same behavior. Can we agree in a calm moment, can we agree that when this happens the next time, here's what we're going to do? And find best best you can. Now again, all of these are sound great in this worship center, and they're never pure. They're always in dynamic. But you try to find a way to remove the strife. Turn now. Listen to me. If you're involved in sin, turn from that sin because God's not going to bless iniquity. And so, if you run to God and your life is filled with iniquity, say, God, fix my family. He said, Well, let me fix you first. I don't have any problems. Oh. So maybe what has to happen first is for you and I to humble ourselves before God and let Him fix us and then turn from the things that hurt your relationship. The Bible says, be ye kind. Oh my. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Well, rebellion's been around a long time, hasn't it? Family strife started in the Garden of Eden. Adam decided one day to be passive. Saw Eve standing there looking at that fruit. God said not to eat, and he didn't open his mouth. He's standing right there. How do you know he's standing right there? Because when she ate, she gave one again. You want a bite? She he was standing right there. He didn't do one thing. See, there are too many dads in the room. It's not warriors for your household. You're not a warrior for your spouse. And so when Satan comes to attack your household, he feels safe because he knows dad ain't going to do nothing. That husband ain't going to do anything. I'll do what I want to in your house. I'll wreak havoc. You're not going to do anything. You don't put on a prayer shawl. You don't suit up in the armor of God. You don't stand in the word of God. I have free reign in your household. And that dad says, I'm so frustrated. You think your family maybe is a little frustrated. See, Adam stood right there and he let Eve say, I sure would like a bite of that. And he didn't say, you eat that, you're going to die. Why didn't he do that? I don't know. Well, one of the sermons, one of the passages that we saw often use about church, I'm going to use today about family. Now, Luke 15 is about a man who had two sons, and there are two or three things I want to say. First of all, though, I'm going to talk about a son today. This could be any member of the family. In Luke 15, we know about a father, and we know about the father because of the two sons he had, and we call one the prodigal son, and that's really only because of the accusation of the older brother, but also because of the fact that he spent everything he had. Do you know what the word prodigal means? It's not rebellious. We saw think prodigal son. Yeah, that means rebellious. No, prodigal means extravagant. Extravagant. So literally, it ought to be the story of the extravagant father who gave one son his possession before it was due and gave the other the opportunity to repent and come in again to a banquet. But the word extravagant of the son that went away is he took all that money and he was so extravagant and wasting it and throwing it away and living up to the party. He's the one called the extravagant son. And we forever thought the word prodigal meant downright rebel, dirty dog, sorry animal. Extravagant is a picture of the woman who broke the bottle of nard and poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. That's a prodigal child, extravagant. It's the picture of the father who offered a banquet and invited friends to come and they wouldn't come. He said, then go out in highways and byways and bring in those who are indigent and you bring them in. Extravagant. And so here's the picture of an extravagant father. Now, the two or three things I want to I say to you. First of all, 
these boys were blessed with a good dad. Now, the reason I want to say that, there's some parents in this room that are hurting because you say, Pastor, I, I'm hearing this, but you understand I've tried everything I know with my son or daughter, and they are absolutely, they will not come. And I question myself as a dad. I, I question myself as a mom. What am I not doing right? What more could I have done? Stop. Stop. Stop it. The one who loves to accuse you is Satan, who loves to point his finger and ever be the accuser. That's not Christ. And I want you to hear me. If you don't hear anything else and you're a person in this room struggling with a troubled child, hear me. I want to point you to two places. In creation, we have no indication that God is anybody but a good God. Everything He made is good. Everything about God is good. God is love. He's merciful. He's forgiving. He's patient. He's gentle. He's kind. He, he's ever-present. He, he's all-knowing. He, I mean, all those things that you'd want in any parent, He is. So when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, is it because God was a failure as a dad? See, many times when your child fails, the first thing you feel is, what did I do wrong? You didn't do anything wrong. I won't say you didn't do anything. None of us are perfect. But likely, if you've been a godly parent, prayed for that child, guided that child, led a Christian marriage before that child, honored the Lord in your marriage, honored the Lord in your home, talked positively to the child, and the child continues to go the other way, then we have to say if every child failure is because of bad parenting, Adam and Eve are an example of a bad God who created them and didn't have enough character to rear them right. Does that sound right to you? See, the truth is, God's a good God. He had boneheaded children. I've known a lot of good mamas and daddies with marvelous Christian people that had boneheaded sons and daughters who walked away. Some of you in this room. Secondly, if we believe that in the Old Testament that the Adam and Eve sin was because God was a bad God, then you got to go to Luke 15 where it talks about a certain man had two sons and one was a prodigal and one was boneheaded and stayed home. Then that dad had to be a bad dad, right? I mean, after all, if he wasn't a bad dad, why would that son want to leave home? If he wasn't a bad dad, why did that older brother hate being at home? He was a bad dad, right? Not one evidence of that anywhere. The Bible says a man who had wealth, he had fields. One son was working in the field. He had cattle. And we know he had sheep because one son said, I wanted a goat to kill and you wouldn't give me a goat. We know he had cattle because he had a fatted calf to kill. We know he had servants because we see them in the end of the chapter. We have every indication he had the ability to liquidate wealth because when the younger son said, give me what's mine, he could liquidate enough to give to the son and he left. I mean, this guy had a good ATM card. So, so what about him was bad? He tried his best to reach out to his son. And when his son left home in the original, uh, when you talk about the first son, when his son left home, every, the picture is that every day he was out there watching. Maybe he's coming home today. Is that a sign of a bad dad? Bad dad said, thank goodness he's gone good riddance. That's not in there. You see, the fact that he loved that son so much, he watched for him every day. How did he know when he saw him coming home disheveled and smelling like pig slop? He'd been out there on his post every day saying, maybe today. This isn't a bad dad. So you parents who are beating yourselves up because you have a child that's wayward, if you've done wrong, then repent and confess it. Confess it, repent, and get, get it behind you and move forward now to be, rebuild a relationship and fix to your, to your ability, correct what's wrong. Now, does that say they're all going to come home if I just confess it and get it right? No. But you can be open before God and say, God, I want to clear whatever this is mine. And you know if there is, then confess it. But remember, wayward children have minds and souls and spirits put in them by God. And just like many people you know that are now adults who do not turn to God with that same giftedness, that somebody, that person you know that's so wayward is somebody's son or daughter. And many times they'll say, I went to church every Sunday. My parents read the Bible to me, prayed over me, and I'm never going there again. So is that a sign of a bad dad? No, it's a sign of a boneheaded child.
Well, that's not the sermon. That's just, let's get to the sermon. Look with me, Luke 15. You know the story. It starts with it. And I want to remind you who Jesus is talking to. Luke 15, 1 says, all the tax collectors. Now, you remember in, in Jewish theology, a prostitute could get in heaven for a tax collector. <laughs> None of y'all work for the IRS, do you? Do you think tax collectors were hated? So, so here he says the tax collectors, Luke 15, 1, all the tax collectors and sinners, put in that same group, were approaching to listen to Jesus, Luke 15, 2. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, this man welcomes these sinners. How many of us have prostitutes as our guests today at church? <laughs> How many of us brought the local drunk as our guest church? I'm not fussing at you. I, I'm just saying. At least they, those in those days, they wanted to come hear him. Today, they most often not going to come in, are they? The Pharisees and scribes were complaining, this Jesus welcomes sinners and even eats with them. Well, that's despicable. If you're going to touch the bread they touched, ugh. Have you ever been in a foreign country and the host was in a field, well, a hut, and the, the, it was just dirty, and he's offering you bread that he just broke. And you're thinking, God, please, I'll swallow it if you'll keep it down. He eats bread with those sinful people. You know, it's contaminated. That, that prostitute and that tax collector touches that bread. Do you get the feel of the room? So Jesus tells them about the son who ran away and came home, and they're all said, oh, that is the sweetest story. And we say the same thing. I just love that story because that's us. We were far from the Father. We came in repentance, and he received us, and there was a banquet. Ooh, I just love that. Get out the Kleenex. That's glorious. And we quit. You know why we love that one? Because it's a picture of most of us. We were rebels. Some still are. We long to come home or we came home and God either could forgive us if we just come back or he has forgiven us and that's our joy. And it has an ending. He came home. There was a banquet. He's back. But that older brother is more painful because he's here. He never left. Didn't want to be here. I don't mean to sound ugly and I'm fully capable because I'm flesh. But I dare say there's some of you this morning say, I really got a lot of other things to do, preacher, and my mind's not here. I, I, I'm already racing all things I got to do today, and I don't really want to be here. You, you think God doesn't know that? Do you know people been in church for years say, well, I come because, you know, I got this job to do, and I guess I just hate to quit it, so I come every Sunday, but I get out as quick as I can. You, you don't think God notices? See, there are people, older brothers, that are here because they feel obligated. And there are people in your household that say, I don't want to be here. I don't like my family. I don't want to be. I'm tired of all of you. And you're going to have lunch with some of them today. And so Jesus comes to that second son, and we don't like him because it doesn't have a neat ending. And boy, his attitude stinks. Let's pick up the story, Luke 15, beginning in verse 28. Now, let, let, let me go back and let's pick up 25. Let's pick up verse 25 of 15. Luke 15, 25. Now, his older brother was in the field. So they've just had the banquet. They've given the son a robe, a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet. And they're all in there celebrating. In fact, it says they've had a great cause for celebration. The son that was dead is found, now found is alive. Verse 25. Now, his older brother was in the field. Meaning that the events of the day had happened so rapidly that they hadn't gotten word out to him, your brother's home. They're so busy preparing the fatted calf and preparing the banquet and getting him cleaned up and robed and ready for the evening gathering. They just assumed he'll be home in a little bit and he'll want to come in too. They didn't make a special trip to tell him. Surely the brother's going to be glad when his other brother comes home. And he's out there working. He's doing what he does every day. He's not, he's not derelict. He's out in the field working. I mean, this guy's got it together. He's, he, he, he doesn't look like he's far from the father, does he? But we're going to find out different. The older brother was in the field, and as he came near the house, he's coming home from a day's work. And, boy, now it's not like normal. Normal, there's nothing going on. It's kind of quiet up there at the house. Can't wait to get in, sit down and have a meal, and 
rest. The sun has gotten me worn out and my sweat is just killing me. I'm just eager to take a few minutes, get off my feet. And he hears lots of noise and he thinks, what is that? He's coming in from the field and as he gets near the house, he not only heard noise, <coughs> he heard music. Now they didn't have <laughs> all the methods we have as speakers to broadcast music. This was just music that was being played and the sound of singing and dancing. And he thought, oh my, what, what in the world is not a funeral dirge? What has happened? So he hears the music and the dancing and he summoned one of the servants. That's how we know the father was wealthy. He had fields, the son was working in them. He has servants, so they're right there close and there's music and dancing, so he must have could hired or brought friends in that knew how to play instruments. And he asked one of the servants, well, what's going on? What do these things mean? Verse 27, your brother's here, he told him. Your father slaughtered the fattened calf because he's, he has him back safe and sound. And he rejoiced, right? Do y'all have your Bible open at all? He heard the news, his brother's home, he said, glory, right? No kidding. He became angry. Any of you begin to feel anger when that person walks in that's been such a pain and they're coming in your door to eat dinner or they're up in the morning to grab breakfast before they growl and go to work or go to school? Just the thought of him made him angry. You, you've been there probably, some of you there today. He became angry. He, he didn't want to go in there with that brother. Now here's that father who ran out after his prodigal son and fell on his neck and kissed him. His father's forever having to go after his boys. Any of you dads know that story? Any of you mamas know that story? Any of you husbands know that about your wife or wives going out after your husband? Here he goes again. He ran out the first time down the road and met his son a great long ways off who'd been in a distant country. Now he has to go out again. Can you imagine you're the host of the banquet? See, in that day, the patriarch was the reason for the banquet. I called it. I'm the host. You're here tonight because I called it. And this is my honored guest. My son's come home. And suddenly the honored, the host of the home disappears, leaves the table. And people think, what, what happened? Well, where, where's he gone? His love for the Son is greater than his duty to the host, being the host. Do you ever let some duties go because love is more compelling to try to get your child, your spouse, your family back? Look what he says. The father came out. Once again, he's left home to go after his son. This one was right there at the back door. His father came out and he pleaded with him. This father didn't go out and say, well, are you coming in? What in the world's the matter with you, boy? Get in this house. That's the way it sounds most of the time, doesn't it? Are you so rude you're not going to come into the banquet? You, you don't think you're acting like a fool? Get in here. Is that what he said? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. He pleaded with him. Please come in. Can I ask you the question, how many times has God pleaded with you? Please come to me. How many times? Pl please come to me. Please repent. Please give me your heart. Please turn from your wickedness. Please come to me. H how many times? And how many times you said, leave me alone. Oh, you wouldn't say it with your mouth. I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm not I'm not going to repent. I'm not, I'm not the one that needs to repent. If you ask God, just ask Him. Look what the boy says in verse 29. He said to his father, look. Now, now look at this sweet spirit he's got. I've been slaving for you. Isn't it interesting? The prodigal came home and said, was willing to say, Father, I don't deserve to be a son would you just take me back as a slave? Because your slaves got it better than I've had it out there in the pig pen. See, one son was willingly come, willing to come back as a status of slave. One son had the status of son. Said, all I am is like your hired help. I'm just good. I'm no better than a slave. That's a sweet spirit, isn't it? You got anybody in your household, a husband who says, all I do is work and y'all just don't show me any respect. I tell you, I'm so tired of this. Anybody here a slave? 
You got a wife that says, I, I'm tired of doing all this. I just hate it. I hate being here. I, I just, I might as well be a maid. Anybody here? Anybody got a child that says, I wish you'd get off my back every time I hear you speak. You're telling me what to do. Get, leave me alone. Anybody? His son said, I've been slaving for you, old man. You hear, you hear the anger in his voice? I, I've stayed here, but I didn't want to be here. I've been staying, I've been slaving many years for you, so it's not like a little while. That whole time that other boy was out there running wild, I'm the one that brought you crops in. Have you forgotten that? While you gave that boy money for the carnival, I'm the one out there working with the sweat of my brow to make sure we made a living. You've forgotten all that, old man? Can you hear the sweetness in his tone? You don't think this is a troubled home. I've been slaving many years for you. I've ne now look at this relationship he has with his dad. I never disobeyed your orders. Do you say that to a dad? Or do you say that to a master if you're a slave or a soldier if you're important to your sergeant? Carried out the orders, sir. What a lot of love in that, isn't there? You got any children that feel like that what you are is nothing more than a slave master? You got a husband that treats you like a slave or a wife that acts like she's nothing but hired help? Did you, is it because you didn't show her tenderness? Wife, is it because you didn't show him respect and tenderness? I've been slaving many years for you. I never disobeyed one of your orders. And I'll tell you right now, you hadn't given me nothing. Isn't that a sweet spirit? Some years ago when our children were very small, I took them to the fair in Tulsa to enjoy the fair. And I'm the biggest kid out there when I go. That's why I don't go often because everything out there I want, you know, what I'm, especially on that food mile. I buy, while I'm eating something, I'm thinking the next thing I want to buy, you know. Josh was small and I'd taken him to ride and taken him to, you know, pony rides, taken him to the barn lane, pet the animals. And John Brown, if we weren't on, on the way out and there was a balloon vendor and he wanted a balloon. Well, I didn't want a balloon floating around the car. I said, we're not getting it. I want a balloon. We're not getting one. Come on, son. I want a balloon. And boy, I mean, then he, you never do anything for me. Oh, son. <laughs> I said, God bless you, my child. May the Lord keep thee and watch over thee. For where thou standest, I'm about to whip thee. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> you never do anything for me. Is there anybody here that says, I'm just tired of being in this home. Y'all never treat me like anything but dirt. I, I, you never do anything for me. When a child says that, you know, you always want to say, well, other than feed you, clothe you, inoculate you, educate you transport you, recreate you, spiritually guide you, and give you every whim that you need, I guess I'm guilty of not doing nothing. But the sad thing, that can happen between two mates, can it? Hmm. You never done anything for me, Dad. I kept all your orders. You never gave me even a young goat. You got to be really needy to say, I've just been craving goat. You ever had goat? Not bad in a stew, but I've never seen a restaurant say, tonight we're having filet of goat. <laughs> Have you? If so, get out of there. You're in a bad place, you know. Dad, you didn't give me an old goat so I could celebrate. But now notice what he says, not, not, not my brother. H husbands, how is it when your son behaves, your wife's like, your son is behave, misbehaving. I want to say, well, pardon me, I thought at birth you said, this is my boy to the wife. I didn't say it but once, but I said it, you know. Your son. Look, look what he says. This is cold. Why is he so cold to his brother? Because he's already icy to his father. Verse 30, this son of yours. Isn't that, isn't that sweet? Not my brother. He's, my brother's dead to me. This son of yours came who, was devoured, who, who devoured your assets with prostitutes. I don't know how he knew that. Is that what he thought he would do if he had the money and could go away? Or the younger brother said, boy, if I ever get out of here, I'm telling you, I'm going to brothel row and I'm not leaving. Was this a man's own thoughts? If I had money and was in a distant city, here's what I'd be doing. 
Was he confessing more than he meant to? Or had the brother, younger brother told him? Don't know. This prodigal, this extravagant son of yours devoured your assets with prostitutes and you killed a calf for him? He's dishonored you. He stole from you. He disrespected you. And the banquet is for a dis disrespectful, dishonoring, devouring, prostitute, sleeping rebel, and you're celebrating him? What a lot of love right here. So how does the father respond? Get out of here, right? Leave me alone, you hateful thing. Is that what he said? No. No, he's a good dad. Boy, good dad. Verse 31, son, can you hear the pathos in his voice? I really suspect the older brother's loud. You giving a banquet for him? I think every servant could hear. This banquet's for that rebel? Boy, it's loud. Now, here's a father, and he's not shouting, son. Doesn't it kill you when your blood pressure's about to explode and somebody just so calm? Soft answer, the Bible says, turns away wrath. Son, I guess I, guess I took for granted the fact that because you're always with me. Now, now stop right there a minute. See, see, if family is to me what I want to be, the fact that we're together is the best part. Not only are you always with me, listen, if you're always with me, guess where I am? I'm ever with you. I'm, I'm never away from you, son. It's not what I gave you or didn't give you. All you had to do is ask. I'm right here. Do you understand? We see each other every day. The distance in your heart's not because I was far from you. It's because you chose never to be close to me. Do, do you know what that's like as a husband to have your family near but not near? You know, as a parent to have a child that you still see and remember when they were small and attractive and you love them dearly, but they're just not wanting to be near. Son, you, you've been with me always. Meaning, I, I've been right here with you. And son, everything I have is yours. What did he just say? See, they'd already discussed, your younger brother got what's his and he's gone. Whatever he does with it, he's gone. But you get all the rest. See, the older brother didn't get half. You understand in Jewish law, when if a father had two sons, the oldest son got two-thirds, the younger son got a third. If they had three sons, the older son got half, and the other two would get a quarter each. See, he always got more. So he says, son, everything I've got here, I gave him his third. Now, two-thirds are going to go to you. He didn't get half of what I have. He got a third and he spent it, but, but it's all yours. And everything I have, you're, every day you work in that field, that's just that's your field. I, I, I'm passing off the scene. I won't be here always. And all of this, all of this is yours. Any of you got your will set up to leave to your ungrateful children when you could do something with it to help those that have genuine need? Nothing sadder than, and I've seen it in 40 years, I... Nothing sadder than a person say, Pastor, I, I'm sick. I left, I've left my money to my children, but one of them is so rebellious it'll be gone in a year. And sure enough, some of those that died years ago, I've watched, and some of them didn't take a year. Is that what you're leaving your lifetime to? When you could leave it to somebody that would use it for the kingdom? You tell me, cut off my child? No, but I'm saying if your children you know are decadent and rebellious and godless, you're going to fund them for another year after you're gone to be just that? Son, everything I've got is yours. And then here's what I want you to see, verse 32. We had to celebrate. Son, here's, here's what's the difference. I didn't know where my boy was. I knew where you were. I didn't know if he was dead or alive. I knew you were living because you've always been out there in the field, morning, early to late, dark. I didn't have to wonder about you being responsible. I had to wonder about him. 
I didn't know how he was. I, I didn't know if he had money or if he was destitute. I didn't know if he'd been beaten up or killed. I've always hated to see those police shows where a child is kidnapped and a mother says, I never found the body. I don't know really where she went or who he went, where he went or what happened to them. Would that not be horrid? Son, I had to celebrate. I, I didn't know if my boy was dead or alive. I knew he was lost from my sight. You haven't been. I couldn't fathom where he'd be. But my son that was dead has been made alive to me. Do you understand what that means? <laughs> my boy that was lost has come home. Do you have any clue what that means? So I had to celebrate. I had no choice. My heart was so full it was about to explode. This brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. The problem with us too often is we're not aware that we are too much like the older brother in our homes and in our church and in our relationships. We do what we do out of obligation, not joy. And because some around us are not always the quickest to say thank you and I love you and you are so good to do this for us and I can't tell you how much I appreciate this and this and this, we tend to begin to believe they don't even care. The Bible says in the last days, many in the church are going to come to say to Jesus, Lord, we did all these things in your name. We cast out demons. We, we built buildings. We, we helped give to missions. Why? We gave the arms around BA and helped the poor. And he said, that may be. I, I don't know you. I, I don't even know you. Oh, my. So, so what are we going to do? We're all flawed. What are we going to do? We're going to run to Jesus Christ. We're going to beg Him to forgive us. We're going to pray in intercession for those that would be maltreating us either at home or in our circle. We're going to do all we can to be clean ourselves and pray for God to do the rest. And we're going to stand on the precepts of His truth believing that His Word is sharper than a two-edged sword that cuts through bone and marrow. Many of you remember the story of a man named Robert Bruce at a time when the Scots were seeking to, to reclaim independence from England. And boy, the British wanted to get Robert Bruce in the worst kind of way because if he became king of Scotland, there was a very good chance that Scotland was going to liberate itself from the British Empire. The story is told on one occasion, Robert Bruce was fleeing from British oppressors and they were smart enough to get Robert Bruce's own hunting dogs as the pursuit dogs to go get their master. And so here, Robert Bruce is on the run and they can hear the hounds gaining and an assistant said, Robert, it's over. They're, those are your dogs. They have your scent. They're gaining on us. We can't get away. Robert said, don't despair just yet. And the assistant thought, how can it be so? He said, I know this land. He said, watch this. And just a short distance ahead, there was a rushing stream. And Robert, Brooke, Robert Bruce got into that stream with his assistants and went some distance down the stream. And he got out in a wooded area and he listened. And in a short time, those dogs were at the point where he got into the stream, baying, barking, longing, but could not find the scent. And after a while, the British troops took the dogs and pulled away. And as you know, Robert Bruce gained the throne. There's a stream where you can lose all your sinful scent. It's a stream of the blood of Jesus. Psychologists are very helpful as counselors, but they can't cleanse sin. Family counselors are marvelous, but they would profess, I can't cleanse sin. 
there's one whose name is Jesus who poured out his life's blood to so cleanse sin so that guilt is removed. Anybody here under a burden of guilt? Yeah, yeah. There is a stream. Anybody here feeling defeated? There is a stream. Anybody here feel like, I failed? <laughs> Boy, there's a marvelous stream. And if you'll get in that stream, all the baying demons of hell that are pursuing you to bring you down have to stop at that stream because they cannot enter the redemptive power of Jesus. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood. Listen to this. Lose all their guilty stains. Father's waiting for us. Some of you are in a far country. Time to come home. Some of you, like the older brother, stayed in the house, but you're a long way off here. I beg you, by the mercies of God, please come in to His grace. Come on. Stand with me.